Welcome to Bad Patient. I'm Robin Donovan. And I'm Laura Marker. And we are two non-medical, non-experts taking an unreasonably deep dive into this week's health news. This week's words are learn to love exercise, vitamin D, bioprinto, and carbs. Well, I love learn to love exercise, except that it's January, except that I'm not being cranky about the gym being overcrowded, except sometimes I am a little bit. Just a little bit? Just a little bit. Because right now I'm much crankier about something else, and it's making me feel not like a bad patient, but like it's. I felt like it was it's bad patient appropriate. Okay. So here's my beef. So I have to get <laughs> a lab test, which like... The total value of said lab test is like, I don't know, $20. And like, I'm a human being who like has a job and, you know, sometimes a life. So I asked my doctor's office if they would send the lab order to a lab that's like within a couple miles of me instead of their office, which is like in traffic can be, you know, 40 minutes or something. So I sent the request at the end of December, admittedly the worst time to ask anyone for anything, but I figured it would take them some time and, you know, we'd give them, like, time to do it. So I never got any response, any notification of a response. So finally, after, like, two weeks, I logged in to the, you know, they have one of those, like, my chart types of things. So I logged in and I was like, oh, they had responded the next day, but for whatever reason, I didn't get, like, you're supposed to get an email notification if there's a message for you. So that didn't happen. So I was Mm -hmm. like, no big. And like, I just got a message from them that said like, yep, you should be good to go. So I called the lab. And of course, the lab was like, we haven't received anything. So then I was like, oh, okay. Like, I'm probably just, I need to like embrace technology more and realize that like, they're not faxing things. It's 2019. And the lab order must be online. So I spent like a few minutes clicking every single link to be like, I'm going to find this, right? Like, I'm not going to be the dumb person who can't find the document like it's got to be here no clicked on everything couldn't figure it out finally like wrote back and was like well i guess the lab says you didn't fax it and so where can i go to get it and they just wrote back and said oh well we will refax it maybe it didn't go through and i was like oh my god so then i waited and then i called the lab again you know kind of toward the end of the day after i got off work and i was just like hey, did you get the thing? And the woman was like, yes, I've got it. I've got it right here. Just came through recently. Like, you're all set to come in. And I was like, great. How late are you open today? And she said, well, we close in five minutes. (laughs) And I was just like, (laughs) I can't win for losing. (laughs) Like, None of this is my fault. And the weird thing was when the doctor's office wrote to me the second time, I did get a notification. Like, And this has happened before where – I don't think I'm just missing it. I think like sometimes the system generates a notification and sometimes it does not. And I have no idea why it does or doesn't. But I was just like, I'm sure from the doctor's perspective, this is like, geez, you know, told her to get this test forever ago and she keeps not doing it. And I'm like, oh my God, well, like the first two weeks, I'm trying to do it, but there's no, there's like no response. And then I finally find the response, but then the lab doesn't have the thing. And then lab has the thing with labs unopened. And like, seriously? I'm half like, I'm half like, I'm due for a physical in six months. Maybe I should just wait till then. Like, why does it have to be so hard? I don't know. Can you imagine how much harder it was without technology, though? I don't know, though. You'd have to call? But what I picture is like a 50s thing where you just, like, I would just put on my bonnet and walk down the street and be like, 
hey, Dr. So-and-so, how about that blood test? And they would do it. And then I would like go to the grocery store and buy like a quart of milk and two apples and then walk home. And the sun would be shining and everything would be perfect. And this is not what's panning out. Okay. I don't know. (laughs) I just, I don't know why it's not working, but I feel like this whole like you can email the doctor's office whenever you want. You sure can, but it's not going to work well. Like, can we get can we get a doctor's office communication system that works better than Hotmail? That's all I'm asking. Is Hotmail even a thing still? The, Do you remember Hotmail? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> what oh, a sure. name. What a name. Hotmail. It sounds... <laughs> I, I prefer cold mail. Mm, lukewarm <laughs> mail. All right. Mail. What is this story about learning to love exercise? I'm ready. So it comes from National Public Radio, and it's from Couch Potato to Exercise Buff, How I Learned to Love Exercise. So this is a story about a person who uh, was or is uh, in charge of the um, uh, NPR's um, health and wellness like area, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, she of all people, like me, uh, should... Like, know that exercise is good for you, but it's really hard to get started. So this is how she, like, reframed the way that she thought about exercise. So basically, like, research says, like, all movement counts, right? So, like, mm-hmm. anything counts towards movement of being sedentary versus movement, any kind of, even moderate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's these things called uh, METs that uh, look at the metabolical rate. Right? So when you're resting, it's at a one. Okay. And if you do an activity, and if it's two, that means you're twice the resting rate, right? So walking across the room is about a two. And they have done research and they've developed numbers for like everything. And uh, mopping is a 3.5, line dancing is an eight. Um, How how high up does it go? So I don't really know, but it's moderately intense exercise is between three and six. Um, but I know you're dying to know vigorous sexual activity falls just below that. So it doesn't quite count. Vigorous what? Um, so climbing vigorous sexual activity. Oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Climbing the stairs slowly is a four. Climbing them quickly is a nine. What? Uh, oh, I guess. Yeah. Even vacuuming, Uh vacuuming counts if you do it with gusto. And so it's like building up all the... (laughs) <laughs> building up all of those things over time helps helps do it. So it's it's her starting to make choices in her life where where she does walking and talking meetings, right? Where she walks around um, the office, she takes the stairs instead of the elevator. She goes a long way around, and so she gets the idea. So like instead of so it's 150 minutes of moderate exercise a week is like what's recommended. But then breaking that down to, like, the five days a week. And so, like, it's like putting pennies into the bank. It doesn't feel like a lot. It's not a lot of things. But you just started doing it slowly. And then she liked doing it and liked doing it. So she did more. And that created, like, wanting to do more. And now she's, like, super into this. That's exactly. I feel like I am like her at the beginning. um, And you are the opposite end. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like her at the end. Spectrum. Yeah. Um. Mm -hmm. I think I see myself in the story. This is definitely kind of what happened with me. Like, I I always exercised somewhat, but it would be like 30 minutes at a time. 
And I think from running and stuff in high school, like I didn't feel great if I wasn't exercising. Like I, I kind of knew what it felt like. But then when I started doing triathlon is when I really started getting like realizing how there's a withdrawal almost the the lack of endorphins on a rest week or leading up to a race or after a race. I mean, I really don't feel as good. And so it's, it's, she's completely right. It's little, little bits. And at the beginning it feels horrific. And then as you go on, you're like, how did I ever not do this? So I know it sounds crazy to most people, but yeah, I mean, even when I'm tired, if I can get my workout in, I mean, there's like a line, but if I get the workout in, I feel so much better. And like my coworkers think I'm so crazy because we go to these trade shows and we're like on our feet all day and then I'll go and run or something. But it's almost like I need it more because I'm tired and I need like that high quality sleep that you get sometimes from it and all this stuff. So, but every year I take a break and then I have to come back after three to four weeks of like not doing much. And yeah, it's really hard. Like the first month is really hard. So I think there's also a thing of like wanting to keep what you've gotten, like what you've gained. Like when you work so hard to get stronger and faster and stuff, you don't like the thought of sitting around and then it all just like falling away. Like it reminds me of one of those like sand and the hourglass thing where it's just trickling out, you know, that's a terrible feeling too. So I don't know. What's your sense? I mean, I I don't want to do it, but like I know I need to do it and like I should do it and like I think I can maybe implement small things. Like I have a coworker who walks or whatever and I could join her and like I want to, but then like I'm working so like it's hard, blah blah blah. Mm. Excuses, excuses. I work on the first floor, blah blah blah. Yeah. It's cold out, blah blah blah. Excuses, yeah. excuses. Well, they say like in running, they always say the first the hardest step is the first step out the door. And I also think, I don't Mm. know if people sometimes realize that, like, like for me, if I'm running, like, sometimes it's like you feel nothing, and then you feel horrific, and then you feel okay, and you're running, you know? And so I think sometimes people people think that it just feels horrific. It's like cold swimming. People are always telling me, like, I don't know how you do it, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, well, it's really only cold for, like, the first three to five minutes max, and then it it's not uncomfortable really at that point. So yeah, I wouldn't do it either if it was like super uncomfortable time. But I also think it matters that like, I don't know, I usually just think about how I'm going to feel after. And a lot of times I put it off anyway. So it is hard. But sometimes I use it to work through an emotion too. And honestly, I think like emotionally, I'm more up and down than you, you lucky, lucky person. (laughs) But and I think I think exercise helps me to like work through stress or whatever emotion I'm having like from the day. Like if I work out after work, then it's kind of it puts it to bed a little bit more. That makes sense. So yeah, so it's something that we can all do. We can always increase our activity. You maybe less so much, but well, no, actually, I really need to increase my activity during the day because I work from home, and so I don't get enough steps in most days. And I know from our previous stories that it's not enough to just exercise in a burst. You're supposed to move throughout the day, and I definitely feel better when I do. But for me, there it's hard to even find five minutes a few times a day to walk. I could. It's not that the time's not there. It's just that I'm like in my house and I have to like get all bundled up and put my coat on and put my shoes on and go out. And then if someone 
calls. I have to be like, oh, I'm taking a five minute break. You know, like it's really weird. So even though it's totally fine when I do it, it's yeah, it is hard for me to like to do. I want to do what the person yeah. in the story says where they she said she doesn't watch Netflix unless she's like doing something. Because I used to kind of do that. I would do like usually in the evening, I'll do like at least half an hour of like um, exercises that are from physical therapy or like stretching, strengthening, either healing something or preventing something else or addressing something that I feel like is cropping up. So I do like a lot of maintenance-y kinds of stuff. And I used to do that watching Netflix, but now I don't know. I'm not doing as well. So I'm probably more sedentary during the day than you, if that makes you feel better. Yes, absolutely. Wahaha. I'm better than you, Robin. <laughs> we should both work on it and report back on our progress. Plus, I have my special Ready? watch like will count my number of steps, but I refuse to tell you my number of steps today. It's super embarrassing. I'm not. Next story. <laughs> 12 steps. <laughs> Next story comes from Medical Express. Um, a study shows that vitamin D supplements are of no benefit for to the over 70s. Aww. So vitamin D is used a lot to help um, – supplements are used to help improve, like, people's uh, – bone strength and help reduce the risk of fall. Um, but there's there's this new study that shows that um, it doesn't really have any benefit. So the study was from Newcastle University, and it was published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. And um, it's building upon previous research that shows that for older people, taking vitamin D has no real value. Um, so mm. almost 400 people over the age of 70 were randomly selected and given different amounts of uh, vitamin D and then they kind of tested its spore. So like, I don't know, do you take uh, any vitamins? Do you do multivitamins yeah. or like yep. fish oil or what, what's oh, your, yeah. okay. what well, is your regimen? This could be like an hour long conversation of how I ended up where I am, but I take a multivitamin that has iron mainly for the iron and I take vitamin D so I think I end up taking the equivalent of like 6,000 IU of vitamin D. I have no idea how like grams versus IU compares. Um, but yeah, I, I got there kind of through like blood testing and checking my levels and I had like supplemented for a year and it, my vitamin D was still a little low, possibly because I spent 30 years of my life in Ohio. And then, and then, so we bumped it up and then I guess we'll, we'll test it. And then the multivitamin was just like a way to get a way to get iron. So um, for a while I needed, I can't remember, like 100 milligrams of iron or whatever. I was low and I was bringing it back up. But yeah, a multivitamin with iron seems to work for me. And we're about to find out if it's still working, if I can ever get my blood test taken care of. So um, yeah, I mean, my doctor recommended vitamin D to me. And I think for Oregon and probably also for Ohio, I think most people are supposed to take it uh, but I think this is like a really narrow study. I don't know that the benefits of vitamin D are limited to bone health, you know? So they're saying like, it's not helpful for this one thing, but I'm like, well, what about the other benefits? Maybe there aren't. I don't know. Cause I thought it was like vitamin D was supposed to be like an inf influential on your mood or, and like immunity and stuff, but maybe that's like pseudoscience. I'm not sure, but yeah. So it looks like one of the reasons why people are taking it is for um, 
bone for bones bone health and it's yeah. it's it's not as effective for that at least in this age group in this age group i also wonder point. if yeah if maybe at a certain point the aging process kind of like it's like no matter what you do you can't like undo it you know because you're not you're not gonna yeah. like build bone density at 75 right like you can just prevent it from getting worse faster or whatever but i looked at harvard health which is like health.harvard.edu and they're saying like there is strong support for vitamin d's role in bone health so this would this would contrast that for people over 70 and then i guess other stuff is not conclusive so yeah, so people have investigated like vitamin D and omega-3 supplements for lowering risk of cancer, heart disease, and stroke. It also kind of like, this really depends on where you live and your skin color and like all this other stuff. So, and you also need it. So like, once again, more research needed. <laughs> I mean, shock of shocks, more research needed. Uh, let's see. I found another, I'm trying to find, I don't know. I think vitamin D is also something that, interestingly, they've increased, at least in the U.S., the recommendation. So it used to be like 2,000 IU, and I think it went from 1,000 to 2,000, and maybe it hasn't yet gone from 2,000 to 4,000. But um, yeah, it's definitely like something where I think they're starting to say more and more people should take it. And I also want you to know, since you asked me about supplements, that I thought about the omega-3 thing. I was perplexed by the lack of clear information about how much we need like they haven't really established that yet and i ended up talking to a dietitian friend and i started eating two servings of fish a week except for this week when i forgot until we had this conversation (laughs) so yeah there's still time yeah so yeah all right are you ready for our next article Mm mm-hmm so the next one comes from Wired. Um, it's bioprinters are turning out live living fixes to broken spines. So we're familiar with 3D printers, and you're probably familiar with the idea that uh, 3D printers are making like more durable hip and knee joints and prosthetic limbs. And now they've recently started producing live tissue that can be attached to scaffold of printed materials. So in mice, they were able to... Um, reuse these things to like regain some movement in their um in some of their um, extremities after having a spinal injury so it's still a long way before it can be tested on humans because they have to do like primates and all that stuff but it's one more step towards um possibly creating um a more viable option for people who have spinal injuries which is really exciting so that's exciting yeah but what you should know, and like, man, you're going to regret picking this story. But so I actually covered bioprinting when I was working for a digital printing magazine a couple years ago, a few years ago, I guess. Yeah, everything seems, I'm always like, it was it was a year ago, and then it was like six years ago. So anyway, recent-ishly. And so the concept of using a printer, like bioprinting can be seen in like a couple ways. One is printing like printing a knee joint for you that would be like custom fit to your body or you know like printing a jaw or something that would be like like a piece of hardware almost and then there's this idea like they're talking about here of using living tissue as ink and then printing onto some sort of scaffold to create something more complex so like big pharma is looking at this because for example if you want to test a drug right now and it's you know it's something to like for your liver 
Well, there's all these different types of cells in your liver and they can kind of like make like a, a faux liver to like test it on, but they get like a, it, you know, it's like a goo kind of a thing. But it turns out that the cells communicate and interact differently kind of based on their relationship to one another. So if you can make like the right, if you could bioprint like the right shape or like a more complex structure that's going to function more like a real liver, then you can test a pharmaceutical product on it more efficiently because it's like it's acting more like the real thing. So it's like your your lab test will more accurately simulate like what happens when you give the drug to a living person. So isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's like super cool. It's so cool. And like, yeah, super high tech. Yeah. And then there's all these ideas of like, well, what if they could like bioprint you a knee and then, and then seed it with, with cartilage cells and like, like to allow your fake knee to grow real cartilage. So that, that's, that's way out in the future. Also like somewhat far, farther out in the future are possibly like, um, printed, bioprinted organs. So instead of getting like a donor, transplant you could they could print you something and that's something that's gotten like a lot of attention in the like what if type of coverage and i think some of the people that work in the field are a little like roll their eyes a bit because it's like everyone wants to know when they're going to print a kidney or something but yeah it has a lot of applications that are you know like the pharmaceutical thing is like a little hard to understand but it's not it's not so far out of our realm of grasping, right? It's just different types of cells and they need to be together to function the way they typically function. If we can test a drug on something in a Petri dish or whatever, instead of on a live person, then then human trials are going to go smoother and drugs are going to come to market faster. And yeah, it's honestly so cool. And I haven't even heard of this spinal type of tissue, but it totally makes sense, right? Like mm-hmm. you can print... You can print anything. So is this, it says, yeah, this article even mentions, like it says, with the eventual goal of printing entire organs that can be grown and then transplanted into a patient. Uh, So this is a bioprinted section of spinal cord. So is it the, Mm -hmm. is it, so it's the actual spinal cord, not the vertebra? Yeah, spinal cord. My understanding of it. Okay. So it's a small implant made of soft gel filled with neural stem cells. That's going to be controversial. Using a printer, implants were surgically placed inside a tiny gap in the rat's spinal cord and then the nerves. Oh, oh! so it's almost like a structure through which the new nerve cells can grow and like reconnect. Yeah, recreating that. How cool. Yeah, because doesn't it seem in some ways that we have so much technology and like, why are people still paralyzed, you know? Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. I will be very curious to know if we are going to be able to reverse um, paralysis caused by spinal injury faster than, one, we figure out the common cold, two, we get a more effective flu shot, or three, the government opens up again. <laughs> I'm hoping by the time this goes live, the government will be open again. But you don't know. You don't know that, Laura. Nobody knows no that. Way. No way to know. All right. Are you ready for our last article? Yeah. So this one comes from Newsweek, and it's carbohydrates, at least certain kinds, are good for you, according to the World Health Organization. Oh, my God. This is looking at high-fiber diet of good carbohydrates can potentially reduce the risk of heart disease and and decrease the possibility of related diseases like diabetes, stroke, and uh, 
color collateral cancer? Collectrical? Oh, oh, colorectal. Some kind of cancer. <laughs> colorectal. Oh. <laughs> yeah, your butt. Basically your butt. <laughs> butt cancer. Yes. Um, so, so, uh, the, um, WHO report, which was published in the Lancet Medical Journal, called the so-called good carbohydrates, such as oats, whole grains, cereal, pastas, help protect against the onset of health disease and early death. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's one more thing of, like, one more thing. But yeah. you can't eat any of those. Can you eat any of those uh, yeah, well, good carbohydrates? Um, oats are controversial in the gluten-free world, but I can eat them. Whole grain bread, no, and I don't really like gluten-free bread. Cereal, uh most most of them know and pasta like gluten free only so which ends up being usually a is combination that high in um, is that is that high on carbohydrates yeah i mean it would still be high also can in i carbs. confess to you that i struggled with like carbohydrates can i just write carbs as like the word for this week that's <laughs> that's what a carb is right it's a carbohydrate like yeah. i like debate it for like probably 5 minutes too long <laughs> on like Right, I, I just I'm just gonna write carbs. Yeah, and we're just gonna hope that it. We're just gonna hope that it's the, that's the shortened term. term yes, for it. Yep, yes, that's the yes. official shortened term. <laughs> yes, it is officially the shortened term for carbo- carbohydrate. Um, yeah, I mean, okay, I kind of this is annoying to me. Like, I guess I guess they're just trying to like let us know, but this is not news. Like, we basically it comes down to like the glycemic index of foods. So like how they're how they are going to cause your body to react. So highly processed something, food with a lot of sugar and not very much fiber is broken down more quickly, causing your blood sugar to spike more quickly than something that takes longer to break down. So like the whole low carb thing, it, it was always kind of it works for a lot of people, but like carbs as a whole group were never bad. So I guess I'm glad that we're putting this information out there, but I'm somewhat annoyed. Just like they're saying carbs aren't bad. And I'm like, carbs were never bad. Like, <laughs> But it just became a thing. I also think there was a huge, there was a huge like food pyramid movement when we were kids, right? That told us we needed like six to 11 servings a day. And now I can't remember how the breakdown goes, but what is it? Like if you go in my fitness pal or whatever, I don't remember what the macronutrient ratio that's suggested. So some I mean I have no idea, Robin. <laughs> yeah. Well, so like people some people now, like if you're a bodybuilder, maybe you're gonna do like fifty percent protein, thirty-five percent carbs, fifteen percent fat. So the free three macronutrients are fat, protein, and carbohydrate. So so there's been a little bit of you know, for some people they think it's easier to lose weight with less carbs and there might be something to that, but but there is no, like, there is no, like, set, completely set, you know, like, you must eat this much, I think. So I just looked it up really quick, and it's looking like carbs are, like, 45 to 65% of your daily calories, fat 20 to 35, protein 10 to 35%. But, you know, so there's a lot of wiggle room in there, right? And, of course, there's all these, there's all these apps that will, like, help you break it down. And I actually do like MyFitnessPal pretty well, but... Like, I feel like this is one of those things where they're like, news, fiber rich, like whole grains and carbohydrates are good for you. And like, we know that. We knew that. Well, now you know for sure. I mean, 
High fire, fiber diet means 13 fewer deaths and six fewer cases of coronary heart disease for every thousand people compared to those who not. Yeah, you know, maybe we should just tell people, maybe it would be simpler to just tell them to choose what carbohydrate they eat based on the amount of fiber and how processed it is. Because there are some like protein bars where they add like chicory root or whatever, which tends to cause people to have like, you know, issues. But <laughs> like, mm. so there's like unhealthy stuff too. But I mean, <sighs> you're welcome, Robin. I knew you'd love it. It's like, what am I supposed to say? Like, they're not wrong, but they're not right. Like they're, it's like they're answering. Oh my God. One person commented on this article and just wrote total bullshit. <laughs> One comment. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not bullshit. Eat whole foods. Eat whole foods. Just eat unprocessed whole foods. Like, this is a thing. And you'll end up eating fiber-rich stuff, and you'll end up, like, it's fine. Oh, my God. That being said, that being said, for, like, the last two weeks, I've been eating these protein cookies, and they're the worst, but they're the best. And I got them at this, like, grocery outlet that I keep going to that I need to stop going to, because basically it's, like, it's like the one ice cream flavor that didn't sell at like the main grocery store ends up at like the grocery outlet or whatever. So you get all the weird like forgotten foods kind of a thing. And they had these like chocolate protein cookies that were gluten-free and like cookies probably a stretch. And these things were like 350 calories and like 19 grams of protein and like not a ton of sugar, but they also contained like palm oil and like other things that you should never put into your body. But I'm telling you, Laura, it was like eating one of those after a workout was like immediate satisfaction, right? Like my body was just like, this feels fantastic. And I was like, oh, God, because, you know, they're so processed. Like those things are questionably food. So I get I get caught up in these <laughs> these things where I'm like, this is technically meeting my like macronutrient needs, but maybe also contributing to my skyrocketing cancer risk that day. Like, right? But they were yummy. They were yummy. I bought them two weeks in a row. And then this week, I went to the grocery outlet and they only had them in like peanut butter and they didn't have the chocolate. And I still kind of wanted to buy them. And I was like, self, take a step back. Take a step back. You know, so now I'm detoxing with some stupid Cliff Bars or whatever. I mean, I like Cliff Bars, but, you know, I wanted my protein cookie. Sadness. <laughs> right now, I just want to know no. <laughs> uh, what kind of soda we're drinking. And where I come from, we call it pop. Pop. Um, I ordered Big K. Big K. Cola and lemon lime. What's cola? Like Coke? Uh, yeah. Odd. Laura, I'm over here talking about like hair. high and low glycemic index carbohydrates. And, and I guess, okay. Well, to be fair, I mean, you saw my protein cookie and you raised me a Big K cola. I mean, that's probably equally the same. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Laura, I do not really have a medical fascination this week other than i don't have a fascination other than just hoping to god that i can somehow get my lab test done before another six months go by what is your political fascination in case you didn't know government is shut down real shut down well recently the courts ruled that um you the uh, companies, they put a stay in for companies who wanted to uh, remove giving free uh, birth control due to um, religious objection. 
the oh, yeah. uh, courts have come in and said that they can't currently stop that. So originally it was 13 states, and then another judge came in and put it on for all 50. So uh, that is good. And uh, there's a um, uh, so that's that's the current thing is that you can still currently get your um, birth control regardless of your company's uh, religious beliefs. Yeah, and I think something that uh, to know about birth control access is I I haven't checked this month, but I have checked I want to say in the last year, and I think that like access to birth control like is is disproportionately helpful to women and families who are lower socioeconomic of lower socioeconomic status. And I also think that there is um, some link to lowering the number of abortions when women have access to contraception. So I guess if, if you're hardcore against contraception for, for religious reasons, I don't think that we can change your mind. But I think from like a public health standpoint, if you're thinking about health of women and babies and especially families in need, birth control access can make a big difference. There's that. Y'all make up your own mind. (laughs) So you can like, share, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can email us topic ideas at hello at thebadpatient.com. We want to say a special thank you as ever to Evan Schaefer, our theme song composer. Thanks, Evan. And you can listen to his music at soundcloud.com slash Evan Schaefer. Until next time, we are Bad Patients.